This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Good morning, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hey. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here at Highway. It's great to see all of you today. I want to start with just a quick recap. There's going to be a photo on the screen. Uh, Some of you may know that as a staff, we're in a missional leadership cohort. uh, And this kind of semester, we're leaning into what it means to live in deep connection with the marginalized, vulnerable, and disenfranchised in our community. And so we had the gift of spending Monday and Tuesday uh, with Craig Wong and Kirk Davis, uh, who pushed us. Uh, who made us uncomfortable in the best way possible about how to move from being a stranger, being unknown in that community, to being a student of that community, and then being a sympathizer, servant, supporter, and finally standing in solidarity with that community. Not because it's an obligation that we need to fulfill, but it's because it's necessary for the church to fulfill its role as a prophetic witness in the world. That what Jesus uh, calls us to, what Paul calls us to in Ephesians 2, to be one humanity with the dividing wall of hostility torn down by the cross of Christ. This is something that we need to do. I'd love to share more about it with you. If you've got any questions about what that process is like or what we're learning, feel free to grab any of us who are on staff. We're all going through it together. So I just wanted to give you a quick update on that this morning. I've got a question for you uh, to start our time today. Really light. Uh, easy, just kind of easing into our time together. Are you free? I don't mean like, are you free for coffee? Uh, Although if you want to get coffee, that's fine. We can talk after the service, or you can text James and he'll tell me. (laughs) Uh, I don't mean, do you have free space on your calendar? I mean, are you free? Uh, Because to quote the Apostle Paul, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free? Are you free this morning? And if you're like me, the answer is likely somewhere in between probably and sort of. Uh, Yes, in some ways, in process, in others, no, in others, still, are you free? And as we start this conversation this morning, there's two things I want us to hold on to. The the scriptures tell us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Would you pray with me as we get started? Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill the space in our hearts. Would you give us a picture of the freedom that you've called us to? God, in this moment, I confess right now that so much of what I'm about to say is aspirational. That I am the epicenter of in-stream and in-process with this, and so would you take this and do with it what I can? Would you call us to freedom, your freedom? We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Well, we're talking about freedom today. I hope that was clear by now. Uh, Freedom is a massive theme throughout the entirety of the scriptures applying to every facet of life. And while we are talking today about freedom through a spiritual lens, that doesn't take away from the fact that there are very real physical 
and relational and mental and emotional and communal implications to that spiritual freedom. Uh, that there, that uh, there are seen as well as unseen realities to what it means to be free. There's just no way to cover all of it in one day, let alone in one morning, in one service together. So here's what we did this week. I sat with every pastor new to our staff and to the church itself within the past year, both at our campus and at Mountain View, because fresh eyes and fresh perspective are so important to seeing things clearly. And we prayed together, and then I asked them, what do you see? What do you see not just in your area of ministry, but in us as a church, spilling over into even us as a church staff? Where are we free? Where are we not free? And with all the things that we could talk about, what's the right place to start? And so a lot of what I get to do today is represent what God was stirring up in them. Uh, And it feels just worth saying again that God has blessed us with an incredible group of new staff. And they highlighted some things that I'm so excited to get to share with you this morning. Because this topic of freedom comes in our series on Jubilee. This really, frankly, hard to imagine an all-encompassing social and economic reset rhythm that God had asked the nation of Israel to live into that was like nothing else happening in the world. And freedom was a big part of that rhythm, and we're going to look at freedom today through the lens of one of those Jubilee resets. But first, let's talk just a little bit about what we mean when we use the word freedom. And I actually want to spend some time on this, because the idea of freedom is so embedded into our culture. It's like it's in the water that we drink. It's in the air that we breathe. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time pushing into the freedom ideal that we live in currently, and a lot of time with how that, script, with how that sits with what the scriptures have to say about freedom. And I'll fast forward to the end and say that I think a lot of the unforeseen, a lot of the unfreedom, a lot of the bondage in the world actually comes as a result of this modern freedom ideal. That in so many ways we're losing the very thing we're trying to gain. And whether we see it or not, taking it from so many other people in the process. So let's start with freedom now, which sounds like some sort of activist group. (laughs) Just heard that. Uh, I want to start by saying that this word in our modern context comes front-loaded with tons of meaning depending on our family of origin and cultural upbringing. And it's just good for us to keep that in mind, that we bring different things with us when we talk about it. And each of us have different experiences with it. And I'll share a bit from my own experience today, but I do recognize that it's limited uh, because just a handful of pieces of demographic data I enjoy an ease in the world that a lot of people don't. And my experience of what it means to be free is all sorts of intertwined with that. Which is why I'm so grateful that we have the scriptures to call us to something beyond just our own personal experience. Because we're in an entirely different social and communal context now than the ancient Israelites were. And when I hear the word freedom, a couple things pop into my mind. Uh, one is that scene from Braveheart. You know what I'm talking about. Freedom! 
Uh, now, it's worth saying that I did make it a point of personal pride to not show that clip in the service today, <laughs> although I did quote it just now. Uh, when I think about what freedom means, when I just let my mind filters go uh, and see what's there, it's this idea of being able to do anything, whatever, whenever, however I want to, liberty that no one infringes upon. Don't tread on me. And I had a default way to argue for this when I was a kid. Uh, college, for whatever reason, seemed like this time of unbridled freedom to me. Uh, to do whatever I wanted to do, and in a strange way, I would hold that over my parents' head uh, whenever they said no to something that I wanted to do, which, let's be honest, is like the lamest rebellion ever. Uh, emotionally punishing my parents by projecting a future where I'm at college. Uh, and I remember uh, being like eight or nine years old, and my parents tell the story all the time. My favorite snack was cheese worms, uh, which is just grated cheddar cheese. <laughs> And my mom had given me what I'm sure was a reasonable portion, but I ate it quickly, asked for more. She said no, and I responded with, when I go to college, I'm going to buy a whole block of cheese, and I'm going to grate it, and I'm going to eat it all. Freedom! Now, we've learned since that time is that I actually have a dairy thing. Uh, <laughs> And so the consequences for that choice would have been severe. Uh, see, to us, especially here in the West, especially here in the US, freedom usually means individual, uninfringed upon liberty, autonomy, the ability to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. And what Jubilee invites us to consider is that maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe the way the writers of the scriptures and God through the scriptures talk about freedom actually calls us to something different. So what do the scriptures say about freedom? Let's start with Paul and that passage from Galatians 5 that we teased earlier. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You were called to be free. But do not use that, free, but use that freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Don't use that freedom for the flesh. And what does that even mean? Now, thankfully, we don't have to wait too long for an answer. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Thanks, Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, Idolatry and witchcraft sounds pretty obvious so far. Hatred, discord, jealousy, that one's interesting. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, ouch. Dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, back to the obvious again, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, Paul's starting to complicate this idea of freedom as autonomy. And we see here in Galatians 5 that there's actually a real communal element to freedom. That freedom in the scriptures blesses the community. Do you hear that? And Paul's saying you can't just do whatever you want to do. And I'd like to summarize it this way, that you were called to be free. But don't use that freedom to do a bunch of stuff that hurts or takes from other people. 
Use that freedom instead to serve each other humbly, in love. Or you could say it this way, you are called to freedom, just don't be freedom. I hear the groans. I hear the groans. My wife filters my jokes, and she told me not to put that one in. I did it anyway. Frida! Oh, man, freedom in the scriptures has got, it's got rails. It's pointed outward and toward serving. And can you hear how that already presses against the way that we think about freedom so often. And the jubilee rhythms have this whole life, whole community element to them as well. It has the same freedom ethic all the way back into the Old Testament. So let's talk about freedom and jubilee really quick. Every seventh year, those who had had to sell themselves into the service of another because of debt or because their crops didn't produce enough or for whatever reason were freed. They were let go and their debt was forgiven, but there was something else that was supposed to happen. Take a look with me at Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 12. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. And all of that sounds great if you are the one being released. But what about the one doing the releasing? It's like not only are you going to lose the economic benefit of having this person in your service, but you've got to actually set them up with your own stuff. Don't send them away empty-handed. Give them lots of sheep and cattle. Give them lots of grain and wine. See, there's two people being freed in this situation. There's the person being released from debt and service and sent out with the means to actually start again. And there's the person being freed from the idea that their better circumstances make them a better person. Being freed from the captivity of things called out from under all the stuff they own before it starts to own them. See, what we see in Deuteronomy 15 is that God gives freedom. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you, and we see that freedom in the scriptures gives in return. It extends freedom in response to being set free. Freedom is something that comes from God. It's a gift that invites us to give and return, to set our eyes on others around us and how we might be a blessing to them. And this kind of freedom mends relationships. And it's tied to the way that God created the world to be. In Genesis 1, when God rests on the seventh day after creating everything and calls it very good, God's not talking about the perfected state of each individual element, but the relationship between them. The harmony of a universe created 
and ordered by God. And when sin entered the world, it fractured those relationships. The relationship between humanity and God, the relationship between us and ourselves, the relationship between us and each other, and the relationship between us and creation. And throughout the scriptures, God is calling, wooing, drawing the world back into the freedom that comes through those relationships being reconciled. And you hear it in the Jubilee legislation. Let the land rest for a year. After seven years, forgive all debts. Every 50th year, everyone's property goes back to its original family, no matter what happened in the last 49. Every seventh day, stop, rest, worship, eat. Remember I am your God who brought you out of slavery. I have set you free. And I am good. And living deeply rooted in that reality that God in his goodness is the one who brings freedom was supposed to be underneath all of the jubilee practices. But there's an adversary. There is a consistent and persistent opposing voice in the scriptures as well. One that is calling, that's wooing, that is drawing the world further away from light and further into darkness, further in pursuit of what on the surface might look like freedom, but underneath it is exploitation and greed and insatiable appetite and lust and violence and despair that can so quickly bind us that can so easily hold us captive. And there's a strategy that that adversary uses that's been working since page three of the Bible that's still active and alive in the world today. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. See, this jubilee freedom, the kind that doesn't seek its own interests but that releases others, that gives to others, that blesses others, has this narrative of trusting God underneath it. And there is nothing that the enemy loves to do more than to chip away at that trust, than to chip away at how we perceive God's character, than to erode belief that God is good. And in doing so, to call and to woo us back into captivity, to lead us to seek out a feeling of freedom in ways that actually bind us, or that comes at the expense of others, that takes rather than gives, that spreads captivity instead of bringing release. Are we free this morning? And as I was in that conversation with our new staff this week, a couple of thoughts hit me. Uh, the first is how important this conversation is. Uh, and the second is how Christian cliche it sounds. Freedom in Christ. 
Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So be free. Uh, but as we sat around, five pastors in an office, which sounds like the start to a terrible joke, by the way. <laughs> and folks started sharing. I started sweating. I was like, oh no. <laughs> That's me that they are talking about. See, I had a really hard time prepping this message. And it's because I'm somewhere in the gap between being set free by Christ from the, from the bondage of sin and living into that freedom. And this week, all these lights have come on for me about how I'm stuck in ways that I didn't even see. Because we can be set free and still not live into that freedom. And I think the reason it can sound cliche is because we talk about it so often but struggle so much to actually experience it. As we were talking about this as a staff this week, uh, we talked a lot about this idea of what inhibits us, what keeps us, holds us back from stepping into the freedom that God is calling us into. And we kept coming back to where we find our identity. That there are so many voices telling us who we should be and what we should do and there's the race to make them all happy. That there's this drive to please or satisfy someone or something or some group of people that keeps us tied to always trying to check the box for school or for work, if we own a house or who we're dating or if we're dating. That at the end of the day, we are looking to someone else or something else to tell us that we're okay. And we are giving away the freedom God gives us when we do. And so if we're wondering where to even begin this morning, here's what I want us to prayerfully consider. Let's start with identity. Start with the spiritual essence of our identity. How do we answer the question, who am I? Who or what do we give the space to speak into that place in us? So when our identity is formed in what Christ has done for us, we can live from a place of beloved son or daughter, fully worthy of affection, created with meaning and purpose, ransomed at the highest price, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, co-heir to the kingdom of God with Jesus, free to do and be who God calls us to be. If we live from this place, how would our lives look different? We can live out of the identity that God gives us, or we can listen to the loud voices that are right in front of us every day. We can live leveraged by still trying to meet the expectations of our parents, trying to get into Stanford, trying to get our startup funded, making sure our kids are in all the activities so they don't fall behind, whatever that means feeling like we don't fit because we can't buy a house, 
feeling like we can't make a change even though we're dying because we did buy a house. Let's think about that gap between being set free by Christ and living in the freedom that Christ offers us. What are we giving influence over our identity? What's the connection between those two? And look, it's worth saying that pulling our identity from things that help us feel satisfied or accomplished can really work. But we can get lulled into thinking that we're free when we're actually not. We're just captive to things that are making us feel good right now. People are happy with me. I have what I want. I feel successful. And those can work. And in and of themselves, they are not bad things at all, but they're fragile. And we have to keep them up for them to work. And you can see how we can get so caught in them without even realizing it. There's lots of moments in the Gospels when Jesus interacts with folks who are struggling with freedom at an identity level. There's the Jewish noble, young and already wealthy, probably the pride of his hometown. He runs to Jesus, falls on his knees and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Mark 10, starting in verse 19. Jesus said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. I love verse 21. It gives such helpful tone. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, he's kept all the commandments since he was a boy. So he's already giving to the poor. He's not some sort of selfish monster. But for him to follow Jesus, he won't be the rich young ruler anymore. And that part of his identity holds him captive. There's also the Samaritan woman Jesus sits with at the well. She's had some life experience, to say the least. She's there by herself on off hours, probably because she's either trying to avoid everyone else uh, or because she's not welcome to associate with them. And in sitting and talking with her and asking her for a drink and plainly revealing to her that he is the Messiah and that she is welcome in his kingdom, someone who's cycled through five marriages and is on to the next. Jesus is saying, listen to me and not them. You are more than the sum total of your past choices. You are not who they say you are. And with that identity shift, something in her gets freed. She leaves the well, runs back to her town, invites everyone to come hear Jesus. And he stays there, a Jewish rabbi in Samaria, for two days. Many people come to believe in him. Listen to me and not them. You are not who they say you are. What freedom would it bring to hear Jesus say that to us? My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. 
God has given you that gift. Free from the lie that you aren't enough because in Christ you are. Free from the lie that you are what you do. Free from the lie that you have to earn affection and belonging. Free from the lie that things can't change. Free from the lie that you are unseen. And it's messy, and it's not straightforward, and we'll probably go back and forth in the gap a few times. But God is calling us to take a step into freedom, to live his jubilee, and to bring it into the world around us. Would you pray with me? God, the verse that is inescapable in my mind in this moment is that where your spirit is, there is freedom. God, in this moment, we just confess how easy it is to try to earn our freedom on our own. What's the freedom that you're inviting us into this morning through the power of your spirit? Would we rest in you? God, I pray that you would help us be a church that reflects this kind of freedom into the world. Not that we don't pursue excellence, not that we don't try to do the most that we can with all the gifts that you've given us, but that those things don't define us. Would you free us into the beloved identity that we have through the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross? Would that be the place that we turn this morning? God, we pray these things in and for your name. Amen.